Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. Today we are going to take a look at verse 3 of the 23rd Psalm. And today we're going to talk about the antidote to damaged emotions. And I'll just warn you, today has the potential to be fairly emotional. Psalm 23.3 says, He restores my soul. Now that is good news because... We all need to have our souls restored periodically. I I talk to a lot of you. I walk with you through things, um, stuff that you tell me about what's going on with your family or health issues or, um, I mean, just this week, there have just been things that with with people and um, so much of the time I get told things and I just feel like I'm powerless to do anything to help and that is a, you know, that, that feeling of helplessness can be overwhelming sometimes and I that's just you know that's me complaining about my side of it you've got to go through it you know you've got to experience it and and carry the weight and it's just um, it's just hard sometimes to watch people have to endure some of the things that they have to endure but we all need our souls restored periodically we get hurt life is tough are you with me life can be hard it's tough we get beat up by discouragement and depression and despair, we have fatigue, we have failure, there are all kinds of frustrations and fears, we have hidden hurts from our past, we all carry battle wounds and, and battle scars, we just, we carry a lot of emotional baggage, all of us do. One of the things that's important for us to realize is as we enter into relationships, especially marriage relationships, we enter into those relationships with a lot of baggage. We just bring it with us, and it's, it should scare us to death. The good news is God wants to take our emotional garbage, and he wants to restore our soul. How does he do that? He does it when you allow him to make three changes in your life, and I want to talk about those three changes this morning. Three ways God restores my soul. Number one, I must let God remove my guilt. Remove my guilt. Nothing destroys a soul faster than guilt. Psalm 38 says, My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. I am bowed down and brought low. All day long I go about mourning. Now there are two problems with guilt. Number one, we all have plenty of reasons to feel guilty. Because we are all imperfect. There aren't any of us that get this right all the time. There aren't any of us that have got this all figured out. We make mistakes, and so by nature, we carry guilt in our lives just constantly. It's something that we do. And the second problem is we can't get away from it because it's in our mind. And wherever we, whenever we move to a new location or try to engage in some kind of new behavior, we carry a guilty conscience with us. Proverbs says the Lord gave us a mind and a conscience we cannot hide from ourselves. So how do you get rid of guilt? How do you deal with it in your life? Let's get more specific. How do you deal with guilt? And how do you cope? There are all kinds of coping mechanisms and options before us when it comes to coping with our guilt. One of the things we can do is deny it. We can just deny our guilt. Everybody ever hear somebody say, you you need to bury the past? You just need to bury the past. Well, the problem with burying the past is the past kind of still has a life, and it's kind of like, uh, you know, pretty soon you're in one of those Walking Dead shows. 
You look up and this zombie's walking toward you and it's your past and you tried to bury it but it didn't work out very well and it just haunts you. It just keeps coming. Denying guilt does not relieve guilt. You can minimize it. You can say it's no big deal. It wasn't that big of a sin. So what? It's just not that big of a deal. Then why do you still remember it? Why does it still haunt you? Why can't you forget it? And why does it pop into your mind, even as we talk about guilt right now? Why is that thing still popping up into your head? Minimizing it doesn't work. You can compromise your guilt. You can just lower the standard. Okay, if I feel guilty about something, then I'll just say it's not wrong anymore. You ever tried to do that? I'm just going to say it's not wrong anymore. That never works. I mean, it's kind of like saying the 10th murder isn't as bad as the first murder, right? I mean, after a while, when you do something, it just gets easier to do it. And it's true that if you do something over and over and over again, your conscience eventually will become seared to it, but that doesn't relieve the guilt. You can rationalize it. You can say, well, everybody does it. The only problem with that is everybody doesn't does it. Not everybody's doing the thing that you find yourself doing or that you want to do or that you struggle with doing. Not everybody does it. And even if they did, it wouldn't make it right that you're doing it. A way to remember, rationalize is to say it like this, rational eyes. And whenever I rationalize my guilt, my heart is trying to convince my head that it's okay. Your heart will usually win out over your head. Denying, minimizing, compromising, rationalizing. One of the things we can do is we can blame others. Yeah, what I did was wrong, but they really hurt me. And blaming others doesn't make your guilt go away. What most of us do, though, most of us beat ourselves up. That's what we do with our guilt. We receive self-administered punishment, a term called self-flagellation. See, inside we know somebody has to pay for the sin in my life. And so subconsciously we set ourselves up and we pay for the sin subconsciously. Let me ask you a question. Can guilt make you sick? Yes. Can guilt cause depression? Absolutely. Can guilt cause you to set yourself up for failure? Yes, it can. How many successful people are just kind of rolling along with life and all of a sudden they just kind of cave in because there was this little guilty feeling that came along and, and it spoke to them and it whispered and it said, you do not deserve success. And before you know it, the wheels just kind of come off their life because they think they're undeserving of whatever it is that might be coming their way. None of these things work. There is only one solution to your guilt. You have to give it to God. You have to give your guilt to God. Romans says all of us have sinned. Now let's just stop right there. Is there anybody that would disagree with that part of the verse? No, I've done it, you've done it, we, we have all blown it. The bad news is that we've blown it. Here's the good news. Yet God declares us not guilty if we trust in Jesus Christ, who in his mercy freely takes away our sins. Here's the bottom line of Christianity. This is the most basic truth of our faith. Jesus Christ has already paid for your sin. Now, we're not a hallelujah kind of church, but if we were a hallelujah kind of church, that's where we would all say hallelujah, right there. Because Jesus has paid for all of our sin. Hallelujah. There you go. All right. 
Don't you feel more spiritual this morning? Amen. I'm going to go get snakes. Hold on just a minute. I'm going to grab some snakes. <laughs> Every sin that you've ever done, covered. Check this out. This freaks some people out when I say this because Christianity, some people involved with Christianity, they make it all about control and they hate it when I say things like this, but it's the truth. Things that you have yet to do are already covered by the blood of Jesus. You understand that? Sin that you have yet to commit, Jesus Christ has already died for. Now that freaks some people out. They're like, well, Brett, how can that be? I mean, you know, what does that even mean? I mean, what that means is that is like the best news ever. That's why we call this the gospel, the good news. Every sin you've ever committed, every sin you're going to commit, when you belong to Jesus, all those things are forgiven. The stuff you're going to do this afternoon, all the sins and mistakes in your future, God has already paid for those in Jesus. Here's the beauty of Christianity and why it's the best deal on the table. All of your sin is paid for, all of it, all of it. All you have to do is accept forgiveness that Jesus purchased for you on the cross. You accept the gift of forgiveness, and that is how your guilt is removed. There is no other way. No psychologist can remove your guilt because they don't have the power to forgive you. You didn't hurt them. But the creator of the universe, the one who loves you, has the power to forgive you. Yeah, but Brett, you don't know what I've done. You're right. I don't know what you've done. Doesn't matter what you've done. Because your forgiveness isn't based on how bad you've been. Your forgiveness is based on how good God is. It has really nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with Jesus. What matters is not what you've done. What matters is that Jesus has already done, is, is what Jesus has already done for you. So what do I do? It says, if we trust in Jesus, how do you get forgiveness from God? You trust. You have to trust. You don't beg God. You don't bargain with God. You just believe. You trust. Jesus Christ, I accept your free gift in faith, I accept that what you did on the cross, you did for me, and by virtue of that, I am forgiven. Now, some of you in the room this morning would not describe yourselves as Christians because you think that Christian means I got to live a certain way, or I got to, you know, quote a bunch of Bible verses, or I got to, you know, I got to become somebody I'm not. And you, you think I don't want to do that. I want to be a hypocrite. You, you got all kinds of reasons why you won't give your life to Jesus. But I'm just telling you, it's as simple as, Jesus, I receive the free gift of your forgiveness on my life. That's it. That's all that's required. That's all that matters. Everything after that is just you and Jesus trying to figure out what that looks like. How do I live my life in a way that Jesus gets glory? But somehow we, we think that it's, it's about all this stuff that it's not about. We've got to talk a different language. That's why I love the way we are at Cross Lane. We're just real around here. We don't, I don't want you, I don't want us all talking the same way and quoting all the same Bible verses and I don't want all that, okay? I just want us to be real. And what's real is we're all sinners and we, those of us who are Christians have just simply said, God, I need 
your forgiveness. I receive the free gift that you purchased on the cross with your own blood for my sin, and I receive it, and that takes away my guilt. Listen, that's a beautiful thing, and if you've never done that, what in the world are you waiting for? Do not let your life come to an end before you say to Jesus, I want that gift. I, I, I by faith, receive forgiveness for all of my sin, and I believe that it happens by virtue of what Jesus did on the cross for me. That's why it's such good news. It's a free gift. I can completely have a clean slate. I can start over. I can have a, a clear conscience. And here's what many of you are thinking right about now. Brett, I've asked God to forgive me many times, but I still feel guilty. No matter how much I ask God to forgive me, I still feel guilty. Do you know what that means? It means that you don't understand how God forgives you. That's what it means. You don't understand how immediate it is. You don't understand how free and complete it is. You don't understand how unconditional is the love of God and his forgiveness. You don't understand how when he says you're forgiven, it wipes out the guilt. Do you understand me? If you're a Christian and you've walked into this room this morning, your sin has been dealt with and you are white as snow. You say, Brad, I don't feel, like white. I don't feel white as snow. He wipes it out. You don't have to keep coming back to God to ask him to forgive you. In fact, if you keep asking God to forgive something that you have taken to him, what you're really saying is, God, I don't believe you. I don't believe that you forgave me the first time. I don't believe that what Jesus did on the cross really forgives me. I need to ask you again and again and again. I've got to keep bringing this up. God, I'm going to carry it back in here again. Some of you don't even want to pray anymore because you keep carrying that same thing back in and you're like, God, I want to get this forgiven. And God's like, we, dealt, we already dealt with that. How does God forgive? Colossians says he has forgiven most of your sins. Is that what it says? No, wait a minute. Not what it says. He has forgiven all your sins. The little tiny ones. The great big ones, even the ones that you still feel guilty about, all. He has utterly wiped out the evidence of broken commandments, which always hung over our heads and completely annulled it by nailing it to the cross. Now listen to that language. All your sins, wiped out your sins, completely annulled it. What he's saying is, he's saying when God forgives you, he forgives you completely. Here's what happens to us. We're forgiven, but we just, we can't let it go. And so we keep bringing it up to God, and we keep bringing it up to God, and we say, God, please forgive me. And he says, already did it. God, please forgive me. Already did it. See, when God forgives, it's forgiven. It's done. It's, it's, it's the first time it's taken care of, and it's wiped out. So when you're having a hard time getting past something that you've already done and already confessed to him, and you say something like, God, please forgive me for that, for that habit. He says, what habit? God, please forgive me for that lie. What, what lie? What lie are you talking about? God, please forgive me for that adultery. What adultery? See, the difference between us and God is God forgives and forgets. The creator of the universe, the one that made you and me, can actually forget not that he can, but he chooses to. That's the beauty of it. 
He chooses to forget sin that has been confessed and forgiven. Listen to Hebrews chapter 8. For I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. He chooses not to remember. It's not forgetful like you and I are forgetful. He purposefully chooses to not remember what we did wrong. He has utterly wiped out the evidence of broken commandments, which always hung over our heads and completely annulled it by nailing it to the cross. Completely wiped out, never to be brought up again. That verse where we read where he says completely annulled it. Let me ask you, when you pay a bill, I, I, you know, I've got bills that come in and, and they're just going to keep coming in, right? Those bills just keep rolling in. But the bill that's on your desk right now that you think, I've got to pay that tomorrow. That's got to be paid tomorrow. And, and it just kind of nags you and it, it's there and it's present. And you, you, you don't want to forget it and you won't forget it. And so tomorrow morning will come and you'll write out the check for that bill and you'll put it in an envelope and mail it off or you'll do it online or however you do it. But once you pay that bill, do you worry about that bill anymore? You don't worry about that one anymore, right? Now, it's going to come around again in a month, and, you know, about a week out, you'll start thinking, oh, i got to pay, for, I gotta pay that, i got to pay that. But once you pay for the bill that you're going to pay tomorrow, once that is taken care of, you press click, you submit, or you put a stamp on it, or however you do it, once it goes away, you're done with that. When you move on, you forget about that. You stop sweating it. On the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. It is paid in full. You don't need to worry about that anymore. I've paid for that sin for you. So what are you worrying about? Here's the point. If God forgives confessed sin, shouldn't you? Why would you keep beating yourself up over something that God is not beating you up over? You know what will happen if you don't get a grip on this? Eventually, every time you go through a rough patch, every time things don't go just your way, you're going to say something like, see, God's trying to get even with me. That's what you'll default to. If you don't get a handle on this, what eventually happens is when things go wrong in your life, you think God is punishing you because of your sin. He's not. When you put your faith in Jesus and what he did for you on the cross, your punishment was taken by Jesus. Why would God punish you for something that he's already punished Jesus for? Jesus was nailed to a cross so that you can stop nailing yourself to a cross, but boy, we insist on nailing ourselves to a cross. Let God remove the guilt. This is the first step to having a restored soul. Number two, let God relieve my grief. Not all the Things that damage us are things that we've brought on ourselves. Sometimes what is a problem for us is something that's been done to me. Here are the facts. You will get hurt in life. Good morning. My name is Brett. I'm your friend. I'm here to tell you the truth. You are going to get hurt in life. This is a rough world, man. It will kick your tail. You're going to experience loneliness. This is not heaven. This is earth. It is not perfect here. So some days you're going to be lonely. Some days your heart is going to be completely broken. You are going to walk some days in despair. Sorrow is going to hover over you like a cloud on some days. You will experience loss and grief. I just learned yesterday about someone in our church that's just experienced an unbelievable loss. Unbelievable loss. 
Some of you have been through some really, really hard things. I, you, you, we talk about it. I pray for you. I've, I've sat with many of you, and through tears, you've told me stories of loneliness and pain and, and heartache and despair and depression. And I want you to know that I am very, very sorry for your hurt, and I wish I could take it away. I've said many times in counseling sessions, I wish I had a magic wand so I could wave it over this and it would just go away. But you need to know that God knows what you're going through. And God hurts with you. And he cares about your hurt. He cares about the things that touch your life. And I want you to know that only Jesus can heal the hurt that is inside of you. Question, what do you do when your heart is breaking? What do you do when grief overwhelms you? Do you just have a great big giant pity party? Do you, do you play the if-only game? Do you withdraw into a shell? Do you hide in a cave and isolate yourself from everyone and everything else and say, I'll never let another man hurt me. I'll never let another woman hurt me. They'll never do that again. You just kind of curl up into a little ball and make it as tight as you can and as hard and impervious as you can so that nobody penetrates and you don't have any relationship anymore and you just kind of walk through the rest of your life in this sad, sorry, cold state. You just pull back and resign from life. There are other options. You can let Jesus restore your soul. David was very acquainted with grief, and he understood how much it damages the soul when we hurt. He wrote in Psalm 31, Lord, have mercy because I am in misery. My eyes are weak from so much crying, and my whole being is tired from grief. Does that sound like anybody you know? Has that ever been you? Sometimes we grieve because of our own stupid actions. We do stupid things, and we get ourselves in all kinds of silly trouble. And we grieve over that. Sometimes we grieve because we see other people hurting and it hurts us. It just hurts us to watch them. That's, you know, parents for kids or kids for parents. Best friends. Sometimes we grieve because of a loss and sometimes we grieve because we're innocent. We don't deserve it. And somebody has accused us or, or, or victimized us or, or hurt us. In 2 Samuel 12, David, we learn something from his life. David offers us some tips on how to handle grief. From his life, we all remember that David committed adultery with Bathsheba. After that happens, David has Bathsheba's husband murdered on the front lines of the battlefield. And he carried huge guilt over that. That was a huge thing for him. And he had to deal with it, and he does deal with it as he confesses it to God in Psalm 51. If you are carrying extreme guilt this morning, and you don't know what to do with it, and you don't know how to handle it, go read Psalm 51. And know that that is the psalm that David wrote dealing with his sin with Bathsheba and Uriah the Hittite. He carried huge guilt. And you can go find some restoration in Psalm 51 and read that. But then he felt grief because Bathsheba bore a child from that union and when the baby was born it got very, very sick 
And David grieved over that baby. He got on his knees and he prayed and he fasted and he said, God, this baby is innocent. It does not deserve this. I'm the one who blew it. I'm the one that made the mistake. I'm the one whose lies and sin has affected everybody else's life in this this negative way. Save this baby. But the baby died anyway. What did David do with his grief then? He did three things, and they're the three things that you need to do with your grief. It's going to restore your soul. A, you have to accept what cannot be changed. Accept what cannot be changed. Then David got up from the ground. He said, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept, but now that, that he is dead, why should I fast? Can I bring him back to life? You've been hurt by parents or partner or a peer all the grieving in the world is not going to change the past the first step to emotional health and healing and restoring of your soul is accept what cannot be changed move on i can't change my background i can't change what happened in my life as i matured and as i grew up and neither can you there's a lot of stuff in my life that if I could go back and rearrange it and prop it up, make it look different, put a little lipstick on that and, you know, paint the pig a little and make it look a little better, I would. I'd, I'd fix it. I'd, I'd rearrange it. Some decisions I made I wouldn't make. Some, you know, things I did I wouldn't do. Some things I didn't do I wish I'd done I would have done. But I can't do that and neither can you. you. We can't go back and change life. We, we just can't do it. There's a lot of stuff I wish I could change. Accept what cannot be changed. B, play it down, pray it up. Pray it down, I'm sorry, play it down, pray it up. After he had washed, David put on lotions and changed his clothes. He went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. In his grief, David went to church. He worshiped God, and in worshiping God, he got a new perspective. And he got a new strength to carry on. You're going to be hurt in life. I know I'm, I keep saying that, but we, gotta, we just got to get used to it. We're going to get hurt. Pain is inevitable. Here's the thing. Misery is optional. You don't have to be miserable. That's optional. Pain is going to happen, but misery doesn't have to happen. Jesus said, blessed are those that mourn. Many of us take our mourning and we hold on to it and we hold on to it. And we nurse it like a baby, and pretty soon it turns us into moaning. Play it down. Pray it up. Give it to God. See, focus on what is left, not what, on what is lost. Focus on what is left, not on what is lost. Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba, and he went to her and lay with her. She gave birth to a son, and they named him Solomon. He focused on what was left not on what was lost. If you're here this morning and your heart is breaking, if you're here and you just feel like it's never going to get better, I want to say to you what I say probably once a week to somebody. I do a lot of talking to people. A lot of you shared things with me, and I, I, you, I'm going to say this, and you're going to think, yep, I've heard Brett say that to me. But it's just one of the things that I say to people. It's one of the things that I, you have to believe in life, and here it is. The sun is going to shine again for you. The sun is going to shine in your life again. You came in here this morning, some of you, it's dark. I mean, lights out, you can't see anything. 
You're like my little dog Peter. He cannot see. He can't. We throw food on the floor for him to eat. He can't find it. He can't see it. If it's dark enough in the house, he walks into the sofa. He walks into the wall. Poor little fella. He. And that's kind of how what your world is. You're just you're in the dark. You can't see anything. It's just it's bleak. And you think, man, it's never going to get any better. And it is affecting your heart. It's affecting your soul. It's affecting your relationships. Probably affecting your marriage. You're you're diving into a depression. The sun is going to shine again. You have to believe that. God is not finished. It's not over. It hurts, and it hurts so bad. But it does not have to devastate you if you will open up and let Jesus heal your emotions. Come to him and say, God, remove my guilt. Relieve my grief. God is not done with you, and the rest of your life can be the best of your life. Several weeks ago, I stood up here and through tears told you about a time when I fell in a heap at the foot of a garbage dumpster in the rain. Just, I mean, <laughs> if you were going to make a movie and you were just going to try and paint the most bleak picture in the world, that would have been me at the foot of that dumpster in the rain on that cold January morning. And I felt like in that moment, my life had completely bottomed out. And there was no way I would ever be whole again. I, I, I would never, I'd, it didn't even dawn on me that God would ever be able to use me again. I didn't feel very loved by anybody, and I didn't feel very loved even by God. And it wasn't too long after that that a song came out on Christian radio. It was released by a singer named Crystal Lewis, and I've had it on loop for you this morning uh, as you walked in. It's, it's called Beauty for Ashes. That phrase, Beauty for Ashes, comes out of Isaiah 61, which says, To all who mourn, he will give beauty for ashes, joy instead of mourning, Praise instead of heaviness. You do not have to remain a prisoner to your pain. It's a choice. It's a choice. You choose your attitude. I know you don't want to hear that. That's like your parent, right? Telling you, choose your attitude. One of the sayings we have around here is change your attitude, change your day. My preacher told me that years ago, and I was in the middle of just all kinds of stuff, and you know, through his, he's eating his salad, munching away, and I'm looking for these, you know, mighty morsels of wisdom to come from my pastor, and he, that's what he gives me. Change your attitude, change your day, Brett. Like, yeah, that just doesn't really knock my socks off there, pastor. But it's true. It's true that, that one of the very few things in your life that you have any control over whatsoever is your attitude. You got a choice. I mean, you, you might be like me. You know, we say things like, well, I'm not a morning person. We just expect everybody to just give us a pass. Oh, they're not a morning person. So they get to act like whatever they want to act like, right? Because I'm not a morning person. Okay, all right. So they're just going to stand over there and be hateful to everybody, and they just get away with it because they've declared up front they're not a morning person. No, you know what? You get to choose your attitude. It's one of the few things in your life you get to choose. But here's what happens to us. We wake up. We're not morning people. And we go in and we go to pour our coffee and we spill coffee all over the countertop. Dang, come on. Mm, mm. 
So you're wiping stuff up, right? Now you're already mad. Now the attitude's gone. Now you, you, you go to stick your key in your car door, or we most of us have locked things now, but it doesn't work. Don't want to let you in. Like you're, and you're just, mm. And the car kind of acts funny when you start it up. Oh, it's going to be one of those kind of days. You get to work, you can't hang on to a pencil, everything's falling off the, on the floor, and you go to pick it up, and you drop it again. You ever had that where you try to pick it up and it falls out, you pick it up, it's like three times, like, or you reach for it and you get, just barely get it and it falls away, and you're like, and there's this point where you just go, oh, it's going to be one of those kind of days. Oh, I see. You know what I'm talking about? And we just, we revel in that. And we just allow that to define our day. So by the end of the day, when we come home, God help our spouse when they walk through the door, right? They come walking through the door. Hi, honey, how are you? What's so great about today? Right? That's kind of how it is. And they could be perfect for the rest of the night. And you've already had such a miserable day. They're not going to do anything right in your eyes. You choose your attitude. It's one of the very few things in your life you have any control over whatsoever. You can't control what's going to happen to you today. You can't control what somebody's going to say about you or do to you. You can't control the weather. There's a lot of things you can't control. You can control your attitude. And it's huge that you do that. If you're sick, how you go through that sickness, you choose a good attitude. You got problem kids? Choose a good attitude. You got marriage trouble? Choose a good attitude. It's one of the few things that you actually have control over. How does God restore my soul? Let him remove your guilt. Let him relieve your grief. The third one is the hardest one of all. You ready for this? Let him replace my grudges. Let him replace my grudges. Grudges come from what other people do to me. See, I feel guilty over what I've done to others but I feel grudges over things that have been done to me. <clears throat> Let me say it again. You're going to be hurt in life. It's a fact of life. Life isn't fair. People will hurt you sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally. Either way, whether they meant to or didn't mean to, it hurts. I tell people all the time, if you follow me long enough, I'm going to hurt you. Follow me long enough, I will let you down. Okay, that's just a fact. If you're around me very long, I'm going to hurt you. Just warning. They should put a warning label right on my chest. He will hurt you. <clears throat> he doesn't mean to. He doesn't want to. But he will. How do you handle resentments of life? Will, how you handle the resentments of life will determine whether you are a bitter person or a better person, and I would just point out to you that the difference between those two words, bitter and better, is the letter I. I make the choice. I choose whether it will devastate me or whether it will direct me to a better path. I make the choice. Bitter or better. So all those hurts that have piled up, what do I do with all that? Job says, to worry yourself to death with resentment would be a foolish, senseless thing to do. Why? Because resentment never hurts the other person, it just hurts you. you. You might be resentful of somebody and that person could be completely oblivious to the fact that you're resentful of them. The only person you're hurting is you. I talk to people sometimes, they're so resentful of somebody and then I find out they're dead. They're resenting this person that's in the grave. And I'm like, how long are you going to let that person eat you up? They're in your head, they're owning your life, they and, and I can promise you, they're not worried about your resentment of them. I can promise you that. 
Some of you are continuing to allow past hurts, things that people did to you a long time ago, continue to hurt you. It's over. It's stupid to live there. Don't do that. They cannot hurt you anymore unless you keep rehearsing it and keep rehearsing it and keep rehearsing it in your mind. And every time you rehearse it, you hurt again and you just bring this stuff up. Stop doing that. To worry yourself to death with resentment would be a foolish, senseless thing to do. You don't hurt them by resenting them. You hurt you by resenting them. Job said this, you are only hurting yourself with your anger. So what do you do with your grudges? What do you do with the resentment of the things where people have hurt you? What, do you? what do you do with that? Listen to Romans. Dear friends, never avenge yourselves. Leave that to God. For he has said he will repay those who deserve it. In a few weeks, we're going to come to the phrase, he, the, the phrase, in the presence of my enemies. He, he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And we'll deal with this a little bit more in depth. But for now, just let me say this. Life is not fair. God never promised that it would be fair. This isn't heaven. We've already covered that. And because life's not fair, sometimes innocent people suffer and guilty people get off scot-free. It's one of the things I think that really sticks in our crawl is that guilty people get off scot-free. We hate to watch somebody who's guilty get away with it, don't we? We don't like it when innocent people suffer. We, we know that. But man, when the guy that really deserves it and he's going to walk, he's just going to get off scot-free. They only gave him three years for that. They didn't charge him extra. But God has said, one day I'm going to settle the score. I'll settle it. One day racism and sexism and crime and rape and murders and hurts and abuse. One day, God is going to do something about all that stuff. Who, let me ask you a question. Who do you think is better equipped to do something about those things? You or him? Who's better equipped? You or him? He's better equipped than you are. Trust him. In the meantime, God says, do not avenge yourself because it will eat you up. Brett, what do I do instead? Look at the next verse. Get rid of all bitterness, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Why does he have to put that in there? Why does he have to put that in there? Just as in Christ God forgave you. See, if you've been forgiven, God's ex God expects you to be forgiving. That's not something that you just get a pass on, like, oh, it's okay if you don't forgive anybody else. No, if you've been forgiven, God expects you to be forgiving. You will never have to forgive another person more than God has had to forgive you. You just won't. Dr. Martin Luther King said, bitterness is blindness. You are never going to be healed of your hurt until you accept God's forgiveness through Jesus Christ and then offer that same forgiveness to other people. Both of those two things have to happen in order for your heart to heal. You can be forgiven, but there's something very healing and uplifting and encouraging about forgiving other people because it's freeing. When you forgive somebody, really what you're saying is there's no debt. You don't owe me anything. You don't owe me anything. 
I'm just going to lay it down. And, and this weight that you carry around of unforgiveness, where, you know, you're trying to make them pay, you're trying to make them pay, and all this resentment. And, you know, I heard somebody say, I've heard it a lot here recently, carrying resentment and bitterness is like drinking poison, expecting it to kill somebody else. That doesn't work. And so we get forgiven, and we have to offer forgiveness, and God in his majesty and his beauty and his wisdom understands that that's how our heart yields. What is it that you still feel guilty about? What is it that when I talked about guilt at the beginning of this message, that thing came up front and center in your mind, and you're like, oh boy, here we go. I thought I'd had it under control, and he just talked about guilt, and now it's haunting me. Bam, there it is. Listen, Jesus can remove that guilt, and nobody else can. He specializes in it. He can wipe the slate completely clean. There is no reason that you have to leave this service with any guilty conscience. It's never my goal, ever, ever, ever my goal that you walk out these doors feeling guilty, like, man, he really kicked our tail this morning. I always want you to leave here knowing there is forgiveness. You are free. You can be cleansed. Jesus says, I offer forgiveness. The, the, the thing is, we've got to accept it. We've got to accept it. I want to show you a passage of Scripture, Psalm 42. Uh, this comes out of the King James, and I, I do that on purpose this morning. Why art thou cast down? Hope thou in God. You have a cast down soul this morning? David is using a term that every shepherd would have been familiar with. He would understand what it means to be cast down. That is the position that a sheep can get itself in and it can't get out of it. That sheep, as you see it right there, is helpless. It cannot get back on its feet. Here's what you need to know about that sheep right there. Sheep are built in such a way that they can fall over on their side and they can roll over on their back and their legs will be up in the air and they'll begin to kick and they'll begin to bleat. They cannot get out of that position by themselves. They are helpless to get on their feet. And a sheep in that position is called a cast-down sheep. And when that happens, the sheep is frightened. It will begin to kick. It will begin to, to, to flail about and it'll bleat and it'll cry out. Because it knows that in that position it is vulnerable. It knows that it, it's just a matter of time before something shows up to eat it and do harm to it. And sometimes when they're in that position, they can see something coming and they really get agitated, but they cannot get themselves corrected. And this is a very serious condition because they're laying there on their back and the, as they do so, the gases in their stomach begin to to build up and it creates a hardness in the stomach and pretty soon it cuts off the air passages and they can't breathe. And so it's just a matter of hours before that animal in that position loses its life. And they can't do anything about it. They need a shepherd to restore them. When a shepherd restores a cast-down sheep, it doesn't happen immediately. It takes time. It takes time for the shepherd to restore the sheep. The shepherd comes up on the sheep in this position, and he, he begins to, to rub on the legs of the sheep to get the blood moving again. It's a very slow process, very tender. Very gently, he starts to, 
work and massage, lovingly massage the legs of the sheep to try and comfort the sheep. And he, 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 he massages the belly and he's, massage, he's, he's doing everything he can to set the sheep at ease. And then he starts to speak to the sheep and assure the sheep that it's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. You're going to be all right. I'm here now. It's okay. And then he'll, he'll gently rub on the sheep and he'll put his hand under the sheep's belly as he gets ready to set the sheep upright again. But he knows he can't let go because the sheep is, does not have its equilibrium. It's not completely ready to stand and walk on its own. So he stands there and he steadies that sheep, rubs on it, makes sure that it's okay, trying to reassure it, you're going to be okay. And when the shepherd realizes that the sheep can stand on its own, he will lovingly let it go. That's a picture. That's a picture of what God wants to do for you. When you're on your back, you're flailing around in your guilt, your anger and your resentment and your grudges and it's overwhelming you and you think that you're going to die in that position the Lord is my shepherd and he very lovingly comes and he begins to restore us and whisper to us and reassure us and let us know that he is going to set us upright. And he is not going to leave our side until we are okay. That he loves us and he cares. He's going to wait until we have our stability back. Jesus Christ is the restorer of our soul. And if you've been cast down for any reason, he is the only one that can set you straight. Only God can restore a soul. Only God can relieve my grief. Only God can replace my grudges. And only God can remove my guilt. Now let me just say this to you, because somebody's got to say this to you. If you're here this morning, and you are not a Christian, you would say, no, I'm, I'm not a Christian. I don't understand that. And the only thing that I can think to myself is, is that you don't understand. You, you clearly don't understand. You clearly think it's about something it's not about. You, because I hear people say all the time, well, I can't go to church because I, I just can't get, I would be a hypocrite if I became a Christian. Well, join the rest of us for crying out loud. I mean, everybody in here that calls himself a Christian is a hypocrite, okay? Let's just get that out in the open. So it's not about you're going to be a hypocrite and be different than anybody else. You'll just be like the rest of us. That doesn't make any sense to me. Well, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to have to, I don't want to, I don't look like them. Well, what do we look like? I mean, look around this room this morning. We got some shady characters in here this morning, all right? Shady. Coming to Jesus isn't about looking like everybody else and talking like everybody else. I actually like the idea that at Cross Lane, we don't all talk the same. We don't all think the same. We don't all vote the same. We don't all root for the same teams. We are real around here, okay? Real. 
We're all jacked up, got all kinds of messed up stuff going on, trying to do it right for Jesus, but there ain't any of us that get this right. And, and somehow people that don't follow Jesus have this jacked up idea about what following Jesus is about, like I got to be perfect or something. Here's the hint for you, brother. You're never going to be that. None of us are. You know what this is about? This is about coming clean, being honest. God, I am a mess. And God says, yes, you are. Yes, you are. God, do you think it'd be possible for me to have some of that forgiveness Brett's talking about? Absolutely. What does it take? What does it take? Here's what it takes. You believe in Jesus? Yeah. You believe Jesus died on the cross for your sins and, and through that process, forgiveness is offered to you? Do you believe that? I absolutely believe that. Then it's just a matter of you saying yes to a gift. And you walk out these doors forgiven. Not just what you did do. What else? What I will do. There's no better deal in the world that you're ever going to be offered and why anybody would hear that and go nope don't want it are you kidding me are you kidding me so if you've never given your life to christ that's the deal that's on the table you want your sins forgiven place your faith in what jesus christ did on the cross and you too can be forgiven would love to see that happen for you let's bow our heads and pray this morning father we walk into this room all kinds of hurt all kinds of grief all kinds of guilt. 20 ways to Sunday are we guilty, God. We are cast down. We are on our backs and we are flailing. And we know we are not going to make it without you. So Father, this morning we cry out to the restore of our souls the only one who can heal us, the only one who can set us up and put us on our feet, the only one who can make us right again. Forgive us, make us clean, protect us. And so, Father, for those of us who've walked in here and the lights have gone out in our world, I pray that you would help us to see that the sun is going to shine again. And for the one that walked in here and can't get it right, knows they can't get it right, and wants a relationship with you, but they don't know how to do it, I pray, Lord, you'd help them to see that it's as easy as receiving the gift of forgiveness. And they, too, can be cleansed white as snow. Father, you know what we need in these moments, and I pray that you will give us what we need as we sing and worship you together. It's in Jesus' name we pray.